So, Kathy, did you ever get a get? A get? I don't a know. Get. What's a, a get? get? A get? What's a get? You know what a get is. A get. When you get the big interview, when you're the interview everybody's after, you oh, get Oh, a scoop. Yeah, I got the scoop. Yeah. It's the, different the from explosive. a scoop. It's a get. It's A, a scoop is, is one thing. A get is another. Just, or an anyway, explosive. We're, but anyway. We're going to get this all get it out right here on Off the Mark with the Bickersteins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Off the Mark. I'm Mark. I'm Kathy. That's who you are, I think, last I checked. Thank you for introducing me. I was going to forget that part. Well, I'm a gentleman, after all, (laughs) when all is said and done. Yes, of course. Today, we're talking about all the celebrity scandals and how there's actually an art to choosing the network and the journalist for your reputation rehab interview. You know, when scandal rocks the news cycle, everyone anxiously awaits the celeb's first public interview. You you know, you're thinking that there's no way that this person's ever going to work again. And then little by little, they manage the the process and they rehab the reputation to a point. Yeah, so does it matter which network they do the interview on? What about the journalist who's asking the questions? Is it a friend of theirs? Can we trust that they're being asked the hard questions? Well, as PR experts, as we are. Former journalists, trust me. Those are the best people that can do. We're recovering journalists, as I always like to say. We're about to break down some of the most famous post-scandal interviews and if they were a PR success or a bust. So let's jump into some examples and then we can wrap up with some top things that you need to consider when shopping around for your next reputation rehab interview, which we hope you never have to do, especially if you come to us first for a crisis management plan. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, but you can think about it. You know, you know, this is something that you know, you don't have to be a celeb to have a to have a crisis and, and a PR crisis. And this is something you may want to think about. Uh, God forbid you're landing a crisis. Like, but these days, all you need is a social media channel, Facebook, whatever, and you have a potential crisis on your hands. That's true. Yeah, crises happen fast and furious. All right, but let's go back to one of one of the most famous. I mean, you know, celebrity journalism has been around since forever. Um, yeah, what's his name? Edward R. Murrow used to have a show. They, you know, they always talk about Edward R. Murrow, World War II, whatever. But he had a show where he interviewed celebs in their homes. Um, you know, it was very light fare. It was so. This has been going on forever and ever, long before even Edward R. Murrow. But one of the more famous reputation rehab efforts didn't even involve a journalist. Remember Hugh Grant and Jay Leno, July 1995? Actor Hugh Grant, who we all know, he was the uh, prime minister in Love Actually. He was Four Weddings and a Funeral. He's been in everything. It's been a lot lately, which, you know, sort of gives away the ending here. But he was arrested for allegedly engaging in lewd contact conduct with a prostitute near Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood in July of 95. The four well, weddings in a- while he was in a very exclusive relationship with Elizabeth Hurley, who was a model and actress. Supermodel. She was one of the world's first supermodels. They were a gorgeous couple. Yeah. Like who could cheat on her? What a schmuck. Anyway. 
Well, that's a separate show. <laughs> so of all the places he goes to, I don't know, to, you know, take his beating, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, which at the time was number two in the ratings. It was behind David Letterman, who was over there on CBS, which is a whole nother, you know, story about the, the late night wars. Hugh Grant comes on, becomes the so-called butt of the joke, but he survived the interview and that was it. You know, that's where he began the rehab of his career by going on anything, the farthest thing from a journalist, Jay Leno, look at what Hugh Grant's doing. I mean, nobody even brings it up anymore. Nobody even remembers. He was on this HBO show. He was nominated well, for Emmys. He was, I mean, he's in everything. Go ahead. First of, first of all, who, who benefited more, Grant or Leno? <laughs> I think Leno did. Well, Leno beat David Letterman for the first time on that show because everyone wanted to hear what the schmuck Hugh Grant had to say at the time about cheating on his girlfriend. Is that a British title that he was like, Sir Hugh Grant, uh, the schmuck Hugh Grant? Is that, uh, have you bestowed upon him? But anyway, I mean, it was brilliant for a couple of reasons. First of all, you don't have to go to journalists at all. And that's what he did. And a lot of people just, you know, you sometimes facing a journalist, you don't want to do because you're going to get too many hard questions. But but also sometimes you got to think of those, you know, late night entertainment hosts. I mean, Stephen Colbert, you know, he's not going to lob you softballs. So you really have to you do have to think it through. And regardless of whether you think you're going into a softball interview or not, you have to prepare like you're going to be going up against Mike Wallace or, you know, somebody who's really going to throw some hard questions at you. For the majority of the audience, who's Mike Wallace? 60 Minutes. Great. Who was Mike Wallace? Chris Wallace's dad. How about that? He was the man who did the big searing. They used to joke that, you know, bad news, Mike Wallace is on the phone. But to go back to what your point was, this was critical for Jay Leno because his show, not only did everybody tune in to that episode, but he catapulted to number one. He ahead of David Letterman, and he never gave it up for the rest of their years in competition. He was always number one, which goes to what's the American viewing audience really all about? I mean, it's always number one. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. Yeah. <laughs> How many people know Kim Kardashian? <laughs> How many people know who the secretary of state is? Anyway. <laughs> Anthony Correct. Blinken, okay, secretary of state. Well, it's only because somebody keeps telling me I look like him. I wonder the thought process behind that. I wonder if they had media prepped him to... Joan Rivers once said, who was named before Jay Leno as the permanent guest host of Tonight's show, until she had her falling out with Johnny Carson. She once said that the show's as impromptu as a NASA space, space launch. Every joke is scripted. Everything everything they do is people know, that the guests know. So do I'm sure... Do you think it was a very coordinated, planned out uh, thing for both of them to benefit from? I think you, you would make money if you placed a bet that, that was that a lot of that was scripted. A lot of that was that Hugh Grant was prepared for that interview. But you make a good point. You know, if you were to show up on a, on a show like Stephen Colbert, Stephen Colbert would not take your shit. It would be an eight minute interview and, you know, maybe over two breaks. And then at the end, you get reinstated. You're, you're clean. You're good to go. If, if you handled it correctly. Yeah. Well, you know, that's he, for the Twitter birds to decide. Yeah. Let's move to 2008, Sarah Palin and Katie Couric. This one, Sarah Palin was not being taken seriously as a vice president 
central candidate for um, John McCain's running mate. Um, and so she interviews with Katie Couric. I don't know why she chose Katie Couric, but anyway. I think was it was it was the idea was she could, you know, stand tall with a journal, with a respected journalist. Yeah, well, they should have rethought that one. But anyway, there were a series of interviews, you know, the 2008 U.S. Republican vice presidential nominee, Sarah Palin, conducted by CBS Evening News at the time, anchor Katie Couric. I'll just never forget the one question. What what newspapers do you read? She couldn't name any. She literally said, all of them, all of them, all of them, like, well, which ones? Like, obviously you could tell right away. You're like, oh my God, she does not read. She does not read newspapers. She does, she does not read. You can't say that, uh, you would never say all of them. Well, let me, let, me, let me play the devil's advocate. Why do you ask that question? I mean, would you ask that question, John McCain? I mean, was it, was it a fair question? I mean, well, there's, been, there's been some rewriting of, I don't know, rewriting of history of, uh, but you know, there's some look at, there's some well, look back all, on that interview. No, you wouldn't ask John McCain because he reads like confidential briefs. He reads uh, the guidesman in Vietnam. I, I mean, come on. Like the, the guy has had to read, he was a Senator for a thousand years. Well, she was a governor, but the, the point of the question was to, was kind of to make her look bad. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, but how could you look bad if you couldn't look bad? If you just said, well, I read a lot of newspapers. I, I try to, she could have even gone a little bit deep and said, well, I, I try to go uh, look at conservative publications, liberal publications too. I like to try to vary up my news. So I want to make sure that I'm seeing both sides. I'm not just, you know, inside a bubble. She could have at least pivoted to that general answer. But when you say all of them, like all of them is a ridiculous answer. You, nobody as well read. I mean, Bill Clinton, o Obama, those guys like read a lot, like Clinton read everything under the sun, but he would never say all of them. It's kind of like, um, what, what's your favorite book? And then you can't name one book, like in the history of your reading. That means you probably don't read books. So I don't think it was, a, I think it was a fair question. How, how could you even known that she would have, had such a bad answer. Like, how could you even plan that? You would think that she would at least say, well, well, most of the time I read my Alaskan, you know, whatever, whatever the Alaskan papers are. But you don't know, you know, you don't know what the Alaskan papers are? No, I don't. I'm not in Alaska and I don't read the Alaskan. Was this papers. also the interview where she, she didn't say I can see Russia from my house, but she said something to that effect. I mean, it was always mocked as I can see Russia from my house. I think that may have been the same interview. The point is, if you're going to go do an interview with Katie Couric, who's really not doing many interviews these days, I, I guess she is. But she, she's she starting. She's starting she, to come back. I think she did say, "I see Russia. I could see Russia from my house." I think. She yeah, did. is you got to be prepared. Who's that? Nicole Wallace was portrayed in a in a movie, an HBO movie about the entire campaign, and Nicole Wallace got beat up by you know verbally beat up by Sarah Palin for not having her prepared enough or not having her ready or having her do that interview. Yeah. Don't you, you don't want to wing an interview. You don't want to wing an interview with anybody, even if Fox, I mean, and I don't mean like nowadays she goes on Fox, you know, that you have the rehab interview at a friendly place and for conservatives and for many people, they go to Fox because they feel like they're going to get a fairer shake than if they go on NBC, CBS, you know, the, the the other questions that she messed up was, you know, Supreme Court cases other than Roe v. Wade, 
Can you think of any? Well, I could think of of any again that could be best dealt with on a more local. You know, I mean, she can answer, you know, the question, and then um, her global warming man-made through your viewpoint, she screwed that one up too. So anyway, I mean, she she really messed up a lot of a lot of questions. But yeah, I, I don't. I think they had a trouble though. I I, I don't think. I think that she didn't really, I think she, they tried to media prep her. I yeah. just don't think she was a good listener. She wasn't, a, I don't think she was a good student. She was a How good student that? for the debate. She did a good, good job with the debate, didn't she? I think she did. I think she did a good job with the debate. She did a good job when she's yeah. looking at, she's looking at, she's deciding if she, a, a congressperson, a longtime congressperson from Alaska just passed away and she's thinking about going for his seat. Um, so I'm sure we'll be hearing more about her and, 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 you know, she did. Okay. But I think after a couple flops, they had, they finally talked her into uh, taking the debate a little seriously, but um, anyway, but but what do you do in those cases? So your, 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 your client has flubbed the interview. How do you clean that up? How do you do clean up on aisle four? Well, what they did is they put her out there again on more friendly interviews and, but it's hard. It's hard when, Especially when you have Saturday Night Live, the problem with her, I mean, I don't think she's I, actually I don't think she said I can see Russia from a state. I think she said something else. But that's Tina Fey's version of it. And that's what actually people uh, I think I can see Russia from my house. I don't think she really said that exactly. I think she she talked about Alaska. It's, it's right over there. It's right over the border. You know, we uh, we can keep an eye on everything. But she, she didn't say exactly like that. But a part of it was SNL. I mean, that just like lambasted her and then just would not let up. So part of that. And when that happens, I, I don't know, you get to be pretty. Pretty, um, well, she went on, you know, to her credit, she went on in Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, After a long time, she did. Yeah. Yeah. That that but the best thing I think you have to do is like make fun of yourself. It's like Mark, Marco Rubio with the water moment. You know, on that kind of thing, you have to make fun of yourself more and faster than other people can. You have to take the joke back, I think. And you, um, pivot, you blame the media. I mean, you blame her for asking those kind of questions. You go on a family list. I don't know if that it does. It, it does on the voting audience that you're looking for. Well, if it, it goes on the people who already want to vote for you, it was a trick question. What newspapers you you read is a trick question. All right, so you're not going to get Kathy's vote. All right, we got that. No. Well, I mean, no, I'm just saying anybody who's on the fence is going to understand that if you really read newspapers, you could probably name it. You probably don't even need to read newspapers. You just kind of know New York Times you know, uh, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. I mean, there's just enough famous newspapers if you've watched any TV show or, I don't know, looked at any news feed. Hell, you know, USA Today, you know, Time. I mean, Newsweek. There's so many things that you could just rattle off the top of your head. And I think you not, should be um, a little more contemporary. BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed. You know. Refinery29. Refinery. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not a Gen Z, or I don't listen. But I know that's where they get their news. Hell, they get their news from Twitter. <laughs> Twitter, which is a good good news. place to get a lot of the year on top and of what's going good. on first. Some people say no news is good news. I say to those people, you've never read 1631digitalnews.com. Hey, everybody, there's a new site online that pulls the best content from the best sources from around the internet. Get the latest breaking news, U.S. news, sports, luxury, music, entertainment, 
and even a great lineup of podcasts, including, guess which one? Off the Mark. Off the Mark with the bigger Steins. Check it out today at www.1631digitalnews.com. That's www.1631digitalnews.com. It's a great news site. It is. It's where we get all our news, or a lot of our news, most of our news, a good part of our news. I check it out first thing in the morning. It, and before you go to bed. All and before I go to bed. It's a 24-7 I'm going to go on it right now before our podcast in case I miss something. 1631. Check it out. 1631digitalnews.com. Okay, now let's move on to March 2021. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry sat down with Oprah Winfrey for a landmark interview, which saw them open up about their life in the royal family and marked their relaunch as Hollywood royalty. It was a two-hour primetime special. It was the couple's first major interview since they stepped down as senior members of the British royal family uh, about a year earlier in 2020. Um, you know, and sitting down with Oprah to make your case to the world kind of is a classic Hollywood celebrity move, I would guess. And it's uh, definitely the kind of thing that British royalty traditionally does not do because the goal is, um, and that family is to preserve a sense of aspiration. Oprah interviews, meanwhile, encourage the kind of intimate, vulnerable image making, you know, that's the bread and butter of Oprah, you know, emotional things. And as we know, British royalty, they don't show emotion. Yeah, stiff, stiff upper lip, I think. Um, wow. Can you be uh, more anti-British? No, it's not anti-British. <laughs> it's just, hey, I watch all the, the king and queen British things. You know, I don't. I, I, don't, I can't know. watch it without subtitles, but um, I don't know Queen Elizabeth. Two, two countries separated by a common language. And I've read everything about Princess Diana as possible, and uh, you know, it's just frowned upon to, to really talk about. First yeah, of all, but they had stepped it. down. They had relinquished their their roles yeah, but it's or whatever. Still like, it's but still wait, like, let's listen to a moment of it. Let's first okay. let's just listen to them talking with Oprah in that garden that went on for Eric. Oprah. I think they came to Oprah's mansion acreage i don't even know what villa whatever she lives in yeah they did i think they did what were they cleaning up they weren't really cleaning up anything there wasn't really i mean there i guess it was to sort of balance the set the record straight from their viewpoint because they were getting brutalized by the british media yeah, but megan 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 had been getting a lot of heat from um and i i think was it was it them trying to get their message out there? Or was it, was this like a real break free moment from them? That this, they, was, they, this was to send a message that yeah. they, they had receipts. I mean, she talked about how she had been asked about what, what color the baby was going to be or so, to say, you know, or how dark the baby was going to be. And she wouldn't say who in the family, but I think it was clear that it was, she was talking about. One of the elders. Well, I won't, I won't say, just in case. Right, I know. <laughs> One of the older. I don't really want to have a lawsuit from the uh, world. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, and, and, and then her, her relationship with, I don't know, I don't know any of these people, the, the sister-in-law. Kate. Kate. Oh, thank you, Sarah. There you go. So they, they, I mean, they, they wanted to get on the record about how they think this, the story should be told. Yeah, but I, I think it was more than that. I think it was also more of them just setting the stage that they were no longer going to be playing by the rule by the rules of the royal family. They were 
you know, really not only cutting ties by no longer being a part of the royal family, you know, officially, but also just um, not playing by any of the rules. They were going to do their own thing. And that's sort of what I think they set out to do. And I think that if, I don't know, I mean, I have no idea. I think if you liked Harry and, and Megan before, you probably still liked him. I don't think they did any damage. Well, I mean, if you listen to the Angle Files, I mean, like Piers Morgan can't stand them thinks they've committed atrocities essentially i mean he walked off after he hated them before he hated them more after what i'm saying is off he quit his job on some morning show to make a point and you know but what i'm saying is did the interview change his opinion he probably thought that anyway and the interview just you know maybe made him go off and talk about it but i'm not sure that I'm not sure that interview changed anybody's opinion that already ha- didn't have an opinion, which sometimes happens. You know, sometimes you do an interview and you're really, you're not going to change minds. The people that still don't like you, don't like you. I, I don't know. I don't know if it was enough. I don't know if it changed minds. And I think that's what, some, I think sometimes when you weigh these interviews, you really have to think about that. You know, if you do the interview, are you really going to change your position? How is this really going to benefit you? You know, if you're like, listen, the people that hate me are still going to hate me. The people that like me are still going to like me. Is it worth doing the interview? I, I, I don't know. Those are things I think you need to think about. Well, first of all, not a lot of us get the opportunity to be interviewed by Oprah. So, I mean, if you have an opportunity to be interviewed by Oprah, take it. Well, maybe they were doing it for other reasons, too. Maybe they wanted the question. And a lot of these is who's the bigger star? Is it the interviewee or the interviewer? I mean, you know, uh, we're going to talk about this. this I'm going to say both. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, mean, probably. I mean, probably Prince Harry and uh, Meghan have a a leg up on Oprah, but not not so much. You know what I mean? Oprah's international. Yeah. So if you get an audience with with Oprah, take it. But most of us, you know, I would say almost everybody on the planet will not have that opportunity. But again, it goes to the point the Jay Leno thing is like you don't have to do it with a journalist like our next example did. Yeah, so Alec Baldwin and George Stephanopoulos, December 2021. Alec Baldwin sat down with ABC News' George Stephanopoulos about a month and a half after the fatal Rust shooting. And Stephanopoulos asked Baldwin questions that, you know, sifted through this series of events that led, led to Hutchins' death, and that was the cinematographer. Anyway, he, had, he said he had no reason to suspect a live bullet, that could be in a prop gun. He also discussed uh, the criticism, litigation, and investigation surrounding the entire incident. Um, it didn't play well with the victim's husband, who then went on the Today Show and said that watching him, I felt just so angry to see him talk about her death publicly in such a detailed way and then not accepting any responsibility after he just described killing her. Hearing him blame Helena in the interview and shift responsibility to others and seeing him cry about it, I just felt like, are we really supposed to feel bad about you, Mr. Baldwin? This interview, I think, this goes to, you know, a a wider game plan, which is, well, unfortunately, this is what has to be done in some cases. You you, got to influence the jury. This this was an interview for the jury pool. Yeah, but he also, so two things. Was he so worried about the lawyers and the litigation that he didn't worry about the 
court of public opinion. So when they asked him, do you feel guilty? Do you have any guilt? And he said, no, I, I feel no guilt. I don't feel like I did anything. That's wrong. a lawyered up answer. And that's a smart that is answer. A lawyered up answer. But that well, is a terrible up answer for the court of public opinion. Well, the court of public opinion is, is not who you're playing to in this case. And, well, and you are in that jury. <laughs> well, yeah, but he can't take responsibility. I mean, and well, then maybe he shouldn't have done the interview, right? No, the interview is part of a bit. You see the same sort of moves go on in a lot of these cases. So something bad happens. And then, I mean, in this case, they're seared into your head. If you were paying any attention to this terrible story where, you know, Alec Baldwin's on the phone crying right afterwards and he's bent over and he's devastated. And those are, you know, those are truly, you got to be empathetic to the guy. Yeah, but, um, but couldn't he have answered that in another way than saying, no, I feel no guilt. I did nothing wrong. Couldn't he have said, I will never, ever be able to get the sound out of my head. I will never, ever, could, ever be able to. Anything he said is, look, this is we all know where this is going. He's the he's he and the insurance company are the deep pockets. Somebody's going to have to pay for it. Somebody should pay for it. But, you know, I mean, this is a mother. This is a, a, a wife. This is a family member who got killed. Uh, and, and along with the, the, the director who got injured, I don't know what the director shape is in, but this, I mean, he's, after you saw those pictures of Alec Baldwin, not that long later afterwards, you saw some pictures of him and his family, you know, they were posting to Instagram, they were showing that, he, isn't he a good guy, isn't he a good family member, isn't he a good father, um, you know, how can I think he have killed said somebody, that's the court of public opinion. I think he should have said nothing at all. And he should have just stayed, kept his head down. I didn't think that. I have an issue with, no, nobody's going to quit say George Stephanopoulos isn't a great journalist. I think he does a great job. But in the city of New York, celebrity world of New York, I can guarantee you these, those two are friends or those two are friendly. George Stephanopoulos, I mean, I, I can point yeah. a straight line from the Howard Stern who's friends with Allie think- Wentworth and George Stephanopoulos okay. and has Alec Baldwin on the show regularly. And, okay. You know, so what? Do you think he went easy on Alec? No, I don't. Okay. Then it doesn't matter. Does it matter? It doesn't matter. Right. George. Stephanopoulos- no, I said, does it matter? I asked you. No, it do- not if he did his job, which I think he did. He made Alec look horrible. You know, I mean, he it's not like he went out to make, Alec look horrible. You ask them tough questions. I don't care if they're friends or not. I don't care if you're friends. If you still do your job, who cares? You know, hey, you can come on here, but you're not going to get a free ride. He did his job. I don't care if they're friends. Didn't care. Alec Baldwin should not have done that interview and his people. I, I disagree. I think he did. Okay. Yeah. That's where we disagree. Um, okay. We're, we're so, bickering and you're right, I guess is the answer. No, no, no. We just agree to disagree. I would not want my client up there. I would advise differently. All right. So if you're not going to be interviewed by Oprah, let's just at least give you some tips. These were more of the big, the big players used to be Diane Sawyer, Katie Kirk, Barbara Walters, Savannah Guthrie still is a big player. Gail Gail King, King. Gail King catapulted to the front of the line with her interview with R. Kelly where R. Kelly lost his crap, lost his shit and went went crazy. Dr. Phil's still big. Dr. Phil, can you imagine? I mean, doc, I remember watching Dr. Phil do some celebrity rehab interview where he somebody had screwed up. They, he interviews him with like a nighttime special. And at the end of the special or whatever, he walks the celebrity 
back to his studio on the Warner Brothers lot, Paramount lot, whatever lot it was, as if to say, you, you know, you have now been forgiven. Go do your job. And I, I can't for the life of me remember who that was. But Dr. Phil, uh, would you go on do Dr. Phil to clean your reputation now? No, almost never. He's the, one of the highest paid people on TV. I know, but I just don't think he's respected enough. Um, so what, what are you going to Okay, so what, what, are the, what are some key tips here then? Well, first thing you need to do is think about doing one of these types of interviews. You don't have to just be a celebrity about this. You know, it could be a business CEO. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. You really need to think about a lot of things before you do um, an interview like this. And you need, you need to think it through and be super thoughtful. And if you are going to do it, who are you going to give the interview to? And, you know, you, you don't always need to do a traditional news conference with a podium in front of the headquarters. You know, you can. Well, you could have a spokesperson do that. Meantime, you're yeah. in a, you have a big get. If it's, you know, if your company has some sort of ongoing controversy or terrible situation, you know, we sit down, you, know, you can, whether it's your local news station that you advertise on uh, regularly. Yeah, you could do a local news station and let it bubble up from there. If it becomes a national story, you know, you go small and let it, let it go up. Oh, there was a, there's the bell that round means, three. That means they liked my idea. You, you want to go, go in, not just lawyered up, but practice stops with extensive preparation with PR professionals. And, and you have to think of this because your lawyer is going to think of this one way. And this is a big problem with lawyers because lawyers are only thinking of making sure that you don't get sued or go to jail, which is crucial. But there's the court and then there's a court of public opinion. And, and a lot of times the legal totally weighs over the court of public opinion. You can get in big trouble in the court of public opinion, and that can ruin you just as much as uh, getting locked up behind jail. So uh, behind bars in jail. So you, you really have to weigh both, I think. And I think usually the lawyers and maybe they should win out. But I think both should be equally, equally a part of the equation. And you know what else they shouldn't do? What? They shouldn't bang their desk when they're oh, giving sorry. great advice. That is true. I will not do that anymore. <laughs> I do tell people you, you should record. You should record your own interview when you're being interviewed because, you know, whether it's a friendly interview or not friendly interview, they're going to cut it up. You want to make sure that they cut it up fairly and, and uh, yeah. responsibly re uh, share your viewpoint and what you've talked to with them about. That is a very good point to make sure they didn't um, take it out of context. The other thing is that honestly, when you practice with your PR professionals, you should do it on tape and they should, they should, your body language can be just as telling as your words and your inflection and the way you talk and the way you nod. So you really got to look at this as it, it's got to be, um, it, it has to look sincere and not over practice, but you also want to watch and see how you come across. And that so you don't, be, you um, don't want to fake sincerity. Yeah. But you also have to know what you look like. If you look guilty as heck, you should know that. Maybe that tells you, oh, I'm not going to do the interview because I can't stop looking guilty. Well, that was like the, um, Prince, the Prince Andrew interview that he totally winged about Jeffrey yeah. Epstein. He did himself no favors. He didn't hurt himself. I don't himself. know if he won it or not, but it was not good. It, yeah, he looked bad. He said, talked bad. It didn't, it didn't have any prep. It was his idea. It, it, it hurt him. 10 times more than anything that the outside could have inflicted on them. Yeah, and, and the other thing is well, you need to go in and you need to have a plan. Did you do it right? If you did it right, you're going to share it. You need to have a pre and a post plan. If you did it wrong, you need to figure out how to walk something back and apologize. 
So, uh, you know, you should have a plan post-interview as much as you have a plan pre-interview. All right. I think we've solved the world's problems yet again. We didn't bicker that much. A little bit, not that much. An interesting episode with such memorable examples of why picking the right network and the journalist for your rehab interview is important after a scandal or your PR crisis. We covered a lot here and would love to hear your thoughts. Interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all on the Mark Media. Remember, all of those marks are with a C. Yes, and we're also on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, as Kathy calls it, and LinkedIn. Oh, LinkedIn and LinkedIn. That's <laughs> it's right. A new, it's a new service we're providing. The new social platform I'm going to be starting. Trademark that. Off the Mark is a production of On the Mark Media. Until next time, I'm Kathy. He's Mark, and we are the Bickersteins. Ding.